Hello and good day, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are in this world, you're doing amazing, and I'm sending you all of my prayers and good vibes your way to you and your family. We've got an exceptional show for you today. We have Raja Selvam on, and we are talking about a guide to improving cognitive, emotional, and behavioral outcomes. Uh, We talk about understanding emotions, tolerating opposites, uh, embodying and expanding emotions, working with uh, victims, a process for dealing with panic attacks, the movie experiments in emotions, uh, why effective doesn't need to be complicated, the four steps of emotional embodiment, a debate on free will, creating a capacity, uh, a walk through the embodiment process, why the universe is fundamentally conscious, and so much more. This is a phenomenal episode of the show, so if you like it, please share it far and wide. Uh, consider going to mapbelair.com and becoming a member uh, because Patreon is gone, so you can do so for free or by donation at mapbelair.com and, and become a member. Um, the best way to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world. And if you want to check out any coaching, any programs, you go to mapbelair.com. There are coaching options, the Soul Compass, Quantum Heart Hypnosis, hip, <laughs> Quantum Heart Hypnosis, and the Zen Athlete Peak Performance Training. So if you want to work with me or you want any info, you can find it all over there. So let's come into a quick state of peace and coherence before we dive into this episode wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with joy peace faith courage power and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with raja selvam Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matthew Belair. As you know, we are currently overcoming extreme censorship. So if you want to support this show, the messages, and the teachings, please share these episodes far and wide. Consider leaving a review on iTunes. uh, Become a member at mattbelair.com. But most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is a licensed clinical psychologist and the developer of Integral Somatic Psychology, an effective somatic therapy that helps clients achieve optimal mental health by fully embodying their emotions. He is the author of the new book, The Practice of Embodying Emotions, a guide for improving cognitive, emotional, and behavioral outcomes. Welcome to the show, Raja Selvam. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to do this show. Uh, I got to look at your bio and your work. That's the shortest, uh, you know, bio for all the amazing things that you've done. So let's just open it up by uh, you sharing a little bit about yourself, your incredible work, uh, your new book, and how you got to doing all the uh, teachings and education you're doing today. Yeah, uh, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and um, I teach in uh, many countries, as as um, uh, close to twenty countries, almost on every continent. And um, my work is based on emotion. You can guess that from the title of the book. And um, how to promote emotional well-being and through that also improve the way people think and the way uh, they behave, regulate both of them. Um, I think it's important to uh, talk about what is embodying emotion right away. What is the practice of embodying emotion? What is embodying emotion? People understand it in different ways. People think that um, uh, some people define it as if I can sense emotion in my body, then that's embodying emotion. Yeah. And I 
define embodying emotion in a particular way. So it's more important to define that to begin with. Uh, for me, embodying an emotion is the ability to expand an emotional experience. Let's say we have fear. Let's go to fear. And there's a lot of fear these days you know, from the pandemic, from the war, etc. And um, we suffer from it. And often we suffer from it here in the heart area, in heart lung area. Now, sometimes people don't even feel it in the body. They only have feel it in the brain. Sometimes people, when I ask people, where do, you, where do you feel the fear? They'll say, it's in my head, it's in my brain. That's a perfectly okay place to begin, right? But they don't sense it in my body. If they don't sense it in their body, you know, in their face, throat, chest, legs, arms, etc., then for me, it's not embodied. So expanding the emotional experience from the brain to different parts of the body is what I call embodying emotion. The more places I can get a client or get myself, I often use it myself, um, to the more places I can expand the experience of the emotions such as fear or grief to my body too, the more embodied the emotion is. Now, immediately the question arises, why on earth would anyone want to do that? People come to us, therapists, you know, uh, or go to their friends uh, with the following request. I feel fear, please relieve me of this fear, right? This is what they say. They, all get, they go to a spiritual teacher. You know, I'm afraid of dying, etc. And And uh, I don't know where my life is going. I'm losing control. Uh, so they expect relief, not a, a suggestion that they actually expand the emotion in their body as a, as a method to actually dealing with it. So we need to talk about why is that useful? Yeah, Why, let, let's also set that. Paradoxically, expanding the emotional experience to more places in the body makes it more tolerable. Makes it more tolerable. This is very important. Yeah, the other day I was working with somebody with the fear of dying. You know, she had been burnt as a child and uh, she was in a hospital and uh, she had a lot of fear about falling ill it fixated on this idea that she would fall ill because the burning accident happened so suddenly. So we were trying to expand the fear of illness, right? The fear of, that she would get ill. And we expanded it in the body. At some point she said, it's interesting. I feel more of the emotion, more places in my body. Surprisingly, I find it tolerable. I'm not running away from it. You know, there's a whole science behind it. You know, it's complex. And I can try to explain it in the later uh, in the show. But essentially, I tell clients the following. If you're trying to lift a 100-kilo bag, will it, will it be easier with one arm or both arms? Right? And they say, of course, with both arms. If you also bring your legs to support the weightlifting, would it be easier? They say, of course, it would be easier. Emotion is the same thing. Emotion is the impact, an energetic impact that a situation has on us. The more we can spread it out in the body, the more easy it is to be with, even though we feel might be feeling more of it. That's the whole idea. Now, how that improves cognitive, you know, uh, 
emotional and behavioral and physical, energetic, relational and spiritual outcomes is what we can talk about with examples as we go along. And uh, I, I personally, I came into it because, you know, I grew up uh, in a, with, with the less than an optimal childhood and uh, there, were, there were different traumas. And I not only lost my body, in a sense of my body, but also access to emotions. Even if I had emotions, I couldn't share it with them. So I ended up developing all kinds of psychological defenses and physiological defenses like constriction not to feel them, right? I'm more likely to think about what do I do with it? How do I get rid of it? How do I solve the problem? What do I do? How do I think differently about it so that I don't have this awful fear of dying, which comes to me very easily because I nearly died in my, in, in, in my birth along with my mother. So that was a basic imprint. So I, as I got, uh, came to the West, I grew up in India and I came to the West and I got interested in psychology and I switched from business to psychology. I have PhDs in both of them. I looked for how to support and bring up emotions on a psychological level, but also I became very interested in how to feel it in the body because I was not feeling it. And I realized that feeling it on the body and expanding it at the body actually made it easier to access as well as tolerate it and stay with it for a longer period of time so that my brain could process it more optimally. It's not coming too quickly with meaning. It's not coming too quickly with the behavior that it could be an addiction, right? Eating chocolate or whatever. So, and, and, and then I became interested in spirituality as well. You know, I became interested in uh, spiritual path of Advaita Vedanta. You know, it's about the path is enlightened path of enlightenment and to recognizing that you're everything. You're the awareness that's the basis of the universe in which the universe unfolds. And the basic requirement for that is the ability to tolerate opposites in the limited body we acquired in each life. I went to psychoanalysis and what I learned from a psychoanalyst is that for relational health, emotional health, cognitive health, and, and behavioral health, we need to develop greater affect tolerance. That's the term that they use in, in psychoanalysis. So from the psychological point of view and from the spiritual point of view and from a personal point of view, it made sense to pursue this path. And uh, as you know, Matt, you've talked with so many different people and I'm sure that they will all agree that the work is not done by us. The work is done through us. And it somehow matches our background and our needs, but it's for a larger purpose. So I, I developed it, taught it in, 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 in integral somatic psychology. So the practice of embodying emotions is a simple practice that different therapists and different modalities can use, but also people at large can use because it's a relatively simple, relatively simple idea, you know? And how do you go about doing it? There are many techniques to do that and explain different things in the book. So that's what got me into it. That this has become my life's work. And it's really great to have the, put it all, all down in a book uh, that's in a practical way. It, it is theoretical in certain sections, but people can easily skip the theoretical section, get to the practical section and use it as they read it. And so that's as much as I can think of right now. You know, I, I respond to questions. Well, please go ahead. And that's what you do. So go ahead and ask me. So. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that that introduction. And I feel like 
the understanding of, of how it works is important. And I also like the idea of, you know, being practical in what we're going to do. And I feel like your analogy of using the whole body to lift up a weight is, is a very sound analogy. One of the things that I've come across in, in interviewing other people is noticing that when people will got disease, um, so often it will be a traumatic memory. And when they thought about that memory, it's actually where it was in the body. And one person gave me this hypothesis that the body was like a hard drive. And when you have, uh, you go out throughout your day, the body's actually storing memories inside the body. But, you know, let's just say it's one gig of memory per day or something. Well, if you have a challenging or traumatic memory, it might be like a hundred gigs of data right in your heart or right in your lung or right in the pit of your belly. And what it sounds like to me is that you're dispersing that energy rather than like a sword and a pinpoint, just stabbing the stomach with a sharp thing. You're using the whole body to transmute the experience so that you still have the memory, but it unlinks this emotional charge. And then that's what happens with the, you know, the neurology in the brain where you're going to create this like a filter of how you view the world, how you make decisions, uh, how, what you'll set up to protect yourself from that happening again. And so that way you can have the freedom to make the highest quality decision rather than going on a a traumatic uh, habitual response. Exactly. And, and trauma, especially complex trauma, that's relational and repetitive have very intense emotions and the body, what it does is that you know, nobody, the brain is geared towards survival. So it does not like unpleasant emotional experiences, especially the intense emotional experience of trauma, like grief and, and disintegration and, 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 and fear and anxiety and so on. So it does what it does. It tries to repress the emotions by psychological means, but also physiological means. You know, all that you have to do is to constrict the breathing muscles so that you don't feel the emotion of fear intensely. So what we try to do is to go in the opposite direction, you know, educate the client about the importance of, you know, in a simple way to, to, to let go of the constriction, the defense against the emotion, for example, there are many other defenses, so that they can expand the fear. So it's not pinpointed in the heart that can lead to a heart attack, you know, that people can have heart attack when they have tremendous fear, right? And we have cases of that. So as you expand, uh, I'll give you a simple example, right? We were working in, uh, I've worked in India in the, uh, you know, with tsunami victims after the tsunami in 2004 and uh, in the fishing village. We also worked in Sri Lanka after the civil war with a lot of traumatic emotions. Uh, and there's a boy, interestingly, he's a meditator. He was a 10 year old boy and he learned mindfulness. But he, had, he was having panic attacks, especially, especially when he heard that another tsunami might come. You know, the tsunami had changed the landscape. And uh, so new waves, strange waves are emerging in the, in, in the village that he lived in that people interpreted as another, a sign of another tsunami. And he would, his heart would go into, you know, um, uh, fibrillation and, and, and he would have panic. And he wanted relief from that. So we worked with him, not for long. We, what we had, did was the following. We said, of course, tsunami is you know, terrifying. It can take your life and some relatives have died. So when you think, of that another, think that another tsunami might come, you can imagine the panic here, right? So I'd say, where is the panic? Where is the fear? He said, it's here and it's tight and I can't breathe. And I said, exactly. So let's do the following. Let's spread the fear right? Put your, 
you know, put your hand there, we said, not to take, make it go away, but to, because the hands have the ability to do energetically what <laughs> intention we set it to do. So we say, support it so that it can let go and the emotion <clears throat> of fear can spread. Is it spreading? Yeah. So let us see whether you can make a sound <clears throat> of the fear so that it comes into the face, into the throat, expand it here. And we also had him move his arms. You know, you can also do it through movement to undo the defenses there so that it could also go into the arms. And that's what we did. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, and and, and uh, we said, if you do this, every time you get, get the fear, it might go to other places in the body. And it might even be bigger. But if you notice underneath, the body will be calmer. Your heart will not be so pounding. You will not have the irregular heartbeat. Yeah? Because he experiences that during the session itself. And when we went and met him four months later and one year later, he said that with just that practice, he would never had another panic attack again or, or panic again. So it can be as simple as that. And that's why I wanted to go out. You know, it's not just for therapists. Even though most people who will buy the book <coughs> are therapists in different modalities, I would like it to go to ordinary people who are looking for educated people who are looking for self-help and and to the extent to which you can facilitate that that would be great well that's a really beautiful and powerful story and i feel like a lot of the techniques that we learn around personal development or even in the fitness world and sports world and uh, mindset world success world whatever you want to uh, kind of put it whatever category you want to put it in it, they don't need to be complicated. It's quite simple. Like for example, to use a weightlifting analogy, I never lifted a weight in my life because I was a snowboarder and a martial artist. And I didn't really know how to integrate those two at the time. So I did more like body weight movements and things like that. But there came a point where I was like, I want to go to the gym and get a little bit stronger for martial arts. And what I learned about picking up heavy weights about like deadlifting a lot of weight. And when you think about strength, it's usually deadlifting and squats and sometimes bench press. But the simple technique of three sets of three every second day that's all I did. It was not complicated. I didn't need 1000 different exercises, right? Just that simple protocol. That was it. And when I followed that, I went, you know, and gained extraordinary strength in a very short period of time. And I feel like the same thing when we're looking at mindset and spirituality is these, these processes, they don't need to be, um, you know, complicated that, you know, that we can look at the, the science behind it and understand that. Um, but even just learning how to stop a repeated pattern, right. A, a pattern of anxiousness, a pattern of depression, a, a pattern exactly. of fear. And I, I would suggest to a lot of my clients is just say, you know what, just take in three deep breaths, learn to notice what your body's telling you, because exactly. what most people are doing is they're not paying attention. They don't have that, that practice. They're, they're living in the mind. And I call it like a task list consciousness. And that task list consciousness is usually linked to fear and anxiety and deadlines, right? You got to get to this place. You got to get this done. And that's one part of life where we need to function in this reality to do that. But if we can do that from a state of peace, because people who are, uh, exceptional athletes, right? World-class athletes, um, you know, in surfing, skateboarding, and snowboarding. Well, when you're in flow, riding a big wave, if you mess that up, you can put yourself in serious harm, 
right? And so that you're not in a state of stress when you're riding the wave. You're in a state of alertness, aliveness, um, focus. And we can learn how to apply that type of awareness to our everyday living, to whatever we're doing. And, and we just need a little bit of uh, like a like a practice, like you said, that doesn't need to be complicated, a little bit of intention with our mind, right? And then to repeat that process. And then the brain and the body starts to develop in a new way, just the same way the muscles react. Exactly. Because then it becomes, the new way becomes habitual. The new way becomes habitual. But I was thinking about something when you were talking, right? There is research, you might be interested in, you might have seen it already. When people are aware of their body, right? Uh, when they're exercising, they spend less energy. Hmm. This is very interesting. Their fitness improves better when they're aware of their bodily sensations. Yeah. Um, and, and, and th there's actually a stream of research along those lines, something that I can share with you later. Yeah. And, and um, you know, the body's constantly telling us what impact the different things that we're doing, what impact the different situations we are in, uh, you know, are affecting us. So when, when we become aware of it, right, then we, are, we can be more mindful you know, that we have better meanings about the situations, but also better idea about what to do in the situations. And that's another piece of research, you know, from, just from, um, these are the pieces of research or shoulders that my work stands on. For example, um, at the university, the University of uh, uh, Wisconsin-Madison, um, there is a, a psychology laboratory in the psychology department, but they do a lot of research on the embodiment of emotions. Paula Niedenthal is a lead researcher there. So they give two groups of people different tasks. They both watch the same emotional movie clip. One, one group is allowed, you know, just watches it. They, of course, monitor the brain. They monitor the body, et cetera, through wires. They, in the in the treatment, in, in the other group, they say, bite on a pen like that throughout the experience. What that does is that it prevents the muscles of the face from getting involved, not to get in, not to involve in the experience. The muscles need, need the freedom to move. And, and it, these people are doing it. And you know what happened? What do you see in the brain while the difference between the two groups? The group that is inhibited from allowing the emotional, emotional experience into the face, the brain is not processing the movie or the emotion well. If you ask them after the, after the experiment, they don't remember well. Two weeks later, they remember less of the emotion and the movie than the group that is allowed to you know, participate with their facial muscles fully you know, un unconstrained. So that's just the face. You can imagine how how the more uh, body you involve, there are other experiments that show that, that, that if you prevent the emotion from going into part of the body, you're thinking about it and what you're going to do in the situation, both don't get processed well in the brain. And, and, and I think that, 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 you know, that inhibits our effectiveness mentally and behaviorally. So. Yeah, that's a really great study to share. And it's so important. And I feel like we're not taught this in school as a young age, how to 
process our emotions. You know, uh, as a man my age, it was to kind of uh, bottle your emotions, right? That's kind of what they taught the the boys, you know, and the girls could express a little bit more, I guess. And now they have a whole new range of teaching, which I'm not sure what's going on there. But I don't think that there's a real embodiment practice. And what that does is it, I think it stunts our mindset and our emotional growth. And that inhibits our spiritual growth, because we need to be able to open the door to compassion and understanding and truth within ourselves and open that door for other people. And then that, um, I, I see it as like anchors when you have these traumas and you have these perspectives, I like, or like a mental Instagram filter, right? So if you have this trauma and you're looking through this filter that sees the world in a certain way, that's very limited. When you remove that filter, that weight, you have more options, you have more freedom and you have more capacity for truth. And that's going to help you evolve spiritually. So I would love to hear your uh, thoughts on that. And then share a little bit about the process. And then maybe we can kind of go into the idea of evolving spiritual, because I think um, that's really what we want to do. And we got to, we need to clear the pathway. We need to let go of all those weights. And then the sky becomes a limit because there is a lot of challenge we're dealing with in the world. And we need the tools to respond to what's happening in a powerful way. That's not going to sink us so we can make better decisions for ourselves and our families and communities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if we have time, we might even do a practice ourselves. That'll be fun. Sure. You know? So, yeah. because we are constantly in a roiling, uh, constantly uh, battling emotions in, in these days of polarization, right? We can demonstrate through our own experience. That'll be fun. At the end, perhaps we can do that. Sure. Uh, the, uh, you wanted to, um, you said a lot. And, and shall I begin with the, steps of the process or wherever you like yeah I, lo I love the steps and then we could you know because i feel like that's going to open the door to, to everything else right that's just foundational teaching right and, and we can and also I'll... talk about the connection to spirituality yeah, and I'll invite to right away with uh, people because I'm I got uh, you know the e copy of the book and I can see all the chapters. You know, this is foundational knowledge that they that they are not teaching, right? So it doesn't need to be so complex. And you provide enough of the research and you have the background with the PhDs to prove why it works. Um, but it doesn't need to be complicated. And this is something that everybody should know how, right? We we have basic nutrition in schools, we have basic education, but we don't have a basic understanding of how to integrate our emotions and yeah. uh, think critically. So I feel like this is just very paramount knowledge for an individual to have. Yeah. So, so it's not just people in general don't know it. Most psychotherapists don't know it because not because they don't want to know about it because they're not taught. They're not taught about the body's role in emotion, cognition, and behavior. It's, it's considered to be a phenomena of the brain. That is the mainstream. But there is increasingly more interest in the body. And that's one of the reasons I think the book is also doing very well. Just two or three days it has been on, on the market. It's doing extremely well, you know. And, and I think that's the reason there's a need there. Now, you know, the, the, um, in terms of theory, let me say a little bit about theory in a very simple way. The things people don't know. People, for example, I mean, I do not know. Why should I say I do not know? I mean, coming from India, you know, uh, uh, doing a PhD in business, teaching at the University of Southern California, and then becoming bored with that and doing a PhD in clinical psychology. I do not know that because in none of those places I learned that the emotions have anything to do with the body. And um, it's only when I started to train in body-oriented psychotherapy systems that I that I started to run into it. 
And now there's more interest in the mainstream psychological modalities. So essentially in one of the chapters, for example, chapter, I think five, six, I think, or four or five, the physiology, physiology of emotions, I use this, all the findings, old and new, to show that an emotion can be generated and experienced anywhere in the brain or the body, you know, in the, anywhere in the brain or the body. That's one thing. People don't know that. They think, you know, it has to do with some, some parts of the brain, like amygdala, et cetera, or heart or liver, et cetera, you know. But it, an emotion like fear, it can be cellular. It's, it's a cellular experience. Candice Burt put it, you know, who's a, who's a molecular uh, biologist. And she said, it's in every cell. An organism experiences the impact of an, in a situation on every cell. It needs to have the information. So that's one thing. Now, we, we have known that behavior depends on the body, right? If I were to speak or if I were to do things, I need, I need to involve the body. Now, what people don't know, this is becoming more, uh, more from the re more recent research, is that <coughs> I had COVID-19 in India about six weeks ago. And, and I still have, you know, I still cough. Interesting, no? I, even though I've tested negative, I still cough. So excuse me. And... Um, the more recent findings in neuroscience and cognitive psychology shows that the body is very important for cognition. Not just the body, but the environment. There are very interesting, interesting experiments, you know, how the body is involved in decision making, even in abstract thinking. This is, this is something that people immediately go, no, that's not possible. So I spent a whole chapter there, you know, on chapter on cognition, emotion, and behavior to establish that you know, the body depends on it. And, and the body forms defenses like constriction, primarily to, you know, to defend against unpleasant emotional experiences because nobody wants to feel them. And there are many defenses, constriction is one of them. And when it does that, when it does that, then the body that's important for both thinking and Behaving and emotion becomes inhibited for all these three functions. That is why expand, you know, working with the defenses in the body, energetically or physically, to open the body up to embody the emotion, which is expanding the emotional experience, leaves the body open. And, and it makes it more tolerable so the brain can process it for a longer period of time. It's not, you know, it's not uh, even it, 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 the brain is allowed to process the impact for a longer period of time, it of course, the thinking will be better and the behavior will be better. So in the second, uh, in the section of the book, you know, there are four or five chapters, this is all about the science of why expanding the experience of emotion in, a, in the body create by creating more tolerance for the emotion, pleasant and unpleasant. You know, we can also act out with pleasant emotions, right? For example, we go meet somebody and then we fall in love and we cannot tolerate the, tolerate the uh, intensity of the love we feel. And we might make all kinds of commitments. We make all kinds of meanings, my soulmate, et cetera, et cetera. When, when in fact, it could be a traumatic connection, you know, traumatic bonding. And, and we rush to commit, et cetera. But if we can hold that love, the intensity of it back, 
expand it in the body, we can enjoy it. And our brain has a lot of time to think about it, about what we need to do, etc. And what past situations might might this love relate to, this relationship relate to. So we end up making even more functional decisions and relationships when the positive emotions are unbearable. So there are many ways to do that. So the steps are simple. In the last section of the book, I actually give a lots of suggestions. And in, in addition to that, in, in, a, in a few weeks, we will also have on my website, a resource section for the book where people can go and see the work you know, being demonstrated in you know, my working with people, but also I, I, I to give them uh, simple exercises for opening up different parts of the body and so on. But let me uh, tell you what the four steps are. I call it the situation. Emotion, expansion, regulation, and integration. And we, we can, I'm going to actually demonstrate it too, uh, a little later or even sooner. The situation is important. A situation is like, for example, uh, I there's a breakup. That's a situation. A relationship ends. That's a situation. In response to which I have an emotion, which is what? It has an impact on me. That's what an emotion is, right? Second step. But of course, I might push it away psychologically, right? Then I work, or I might not share it because I didn't grow up with having support for emotions, like you mentioned, bottle it. So you support the person internally, externally, so that they can have the emotion, they don't deny it, etc. And then in the third step, because emotion, you know, especially very, uh, from a very young uh, age, involved you know, automatic and unconscious defenses, like constriction of the breathing muscles, an example, you know? constriction of the throat muscle, facial muscles, and so on, as an example. So if we have to, or it could even, the blockages can even happen at the energetic level. Yeah. We, but what, by what I mean by energetic level is the quantum level of a being, differences can form. And uh, but if you know how to work with it, then we can expand the emotion and you know, spread it. And then once we spread it, there's greater tolerance to be with it for a longer period of time with all the benefits we have talked about. The fourth step is called integration. You know, when things become difficult or while we're with the emotion, we need to have a, a go-to place so that it doesn't overwhelm us, right? Or at the end of a, a difficult session, we also need to reap the benefits of the work we have done. So I call it integration. So that is simply, uh, I'll give you an example. The woman who felt the fear of dying, that led her to uh, you know, be afraid of falling ill all the time. When she was able to spread the fear from the chest to the abdomen through my guidance, then she said, I feel the fear, but you know what? My breathing is better at the same time. I'm feeling more fear. My breathing is better. And my, there's more energy in my legs, whereas earlier it was cold. It's warmer. So those are, those are signs that we can also pay attention to, to make the experience of emotion more tolerable. Or we can ask at the end of the session or stop the session and ask them, do you think differently about it now? Do you think differently about what you could have or can do in the situation in the future? 
So these are the things. Do you feel more connected to the world out other people? Now, uh, in an example of yesterday, uh, I did a, a demonstration in Barcelona a few days ago, and she looked around and said, you know, I feel more connected to people. Whereas earlier, I was so scared when I said that. No, no, no I'm not as scared. I can experience that they, they are supporting me. She could feel it energetically, right? So we can look at, look, look, look at, look for those benefits in the integration phase. So it's a, so I lay it out each step, how to facilitate that in yourself and in your clients, if you're a therapist in the final, uh, in a section of the book called method or practice, I think it's called practice. So. Well, that's excellent. And yeah, again, it's, it's very, very simple. It's similar to some of the other things that I've um, heard before. I can't remember what the title of it was, but it was just the idea of sitting with the emotion because some people think that you don't, you want to stuff it in a corner and never look at it ever again. And that's where all the kind of, you know, skeletons of the subconscious unconscious mind can affect your decision-making and your consciousness. So this is a way to kind of transmute that energy um, so you have the the memory and the experience and the education and what you learn from it, but it's not traumatizing you in a way to create, you know, a, a belief system or something that's going to negatively impact your decision making. So I think that's a powerful and simple way to navigate things. And one question I'd love to ask is, you know, how do you, how do you use this process or support people with uh, fear and anxiety? Is it, is it yeah. no matter what the emotion is, the same process? Because right now it seems like there are many more challenges. There's many more fears. There's many more concerns. And so how can we use what you've learned to just see this world? Because it could be challenging, which it, which it is in a lot of different ways. But how do we get out of that fear base into that solution-based thinking? Right. It, it, it's independent of the emotion. It's, it's the same method for unpleasant emotions as it is for pleasant emotions. It's the same method for intense emotions of trauma as it for intense emotions of ordinary life situations that are difficult. It is the same thing. And, uh, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking about this idea of staying with, you know, in, on spiritual paths, in mindfulness, etc. We are told, I've been taught, that what you experience, right, with or without awareness, some, some, some of these methods say also what notice what's happening in the body. But people say just what you experience and uh, stay with it as long as you can and it will transform. Now, this could very well happen. It does. Otherwise, people will not continue to do this, right? But what if they not, cannot tolerate the emotion that's coming in, right? Just staying with it is not going to do it, especially if the body's blocking it and you're feeling it only in a few places. For example, in your heart, with, the, with heart palpitations, you're feeling the fear. But staying with it, it's not going to do. If you just take a step, just take a step, an extra step to include in the awareness, you know, to use your, bar, your hands or your awareness to, to allow for the possibility that the fear could be felt in other places. So you're going against the unconscious defenses. You say, okay, I'll put my hand there. 
I'm going to stay with it, but I'm going to do more than just stay with it. Look at it, because it's not, it's not, you know, it's there. In fact, if you stay, stay at it more and more, if you cannot tolerate it, that area will also disappear from your awareness. Right? That can happen. That can happen. So you actually go into it, expand it, then you will be able to stay with it much more. And the likelihood of transformation is greater. So it's very exciting, uh, you know, add on. I see the practice of embodying emotions as something you can add on. It's not an independent therapeutic modality, you know, and it's not, in a way, it's not so groundbreaking, you know, to like affect tolerance has been in psychoanalysis for personal growth in Jungian psychology, the capacity to tolerate opposites as for individuation and growth in spirituality, Buddhism and Hinduism, enlightenment or, or Sufism or Kabbalah, the enlightenment, the highest possible achievement of the human being to become aware that we are everything depends on the ability to tolerate opposite. It has been there. And what we are doing, what I'm doing is saying how to use the body to do that, how to use the body to do that. That's all. That's the extra step. So it can be added to anything. In fact, business decision-making, we know that, right? I mean, you're, you're a business coach and you also conduct um, you know, executive development programs from what I read, right, and corporations. Now, it turns out, we've always known, Damasio, Antonio Damasio um, wrote a book called uh, Looking for Spinoza in, I think, 2006, essentially documenting um, the, the fact, uh, that's not the book, one of the earlier books, uh, it's called, um, I forget the name, uh, Descartes' Era, you know, Descartes who thought that I am what I think. And in that book, Descartes' Era, he said, there's all the science that tells you when people have emotion, right? They're, they think better, their actions are better, right? In the situation. And lots of research using people with brain damage and so on. And what I'm saying is that if you can add to it, not only to, to you facilitate people getting to the emotion, and then what? You regulate it, you develop a capacity for it. Because we know in, 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 in the everyday experience, people have emotion, but they cannot regulate it. They do all kinds of things. They, they craze conspiracy theories and act out against each other, right? So emotion, having emotion, it, yes, thinking and behavior are better, but unregulated emotions can actually lead to acting out and dysfunctional uh, you know, patterns for self and others. So what we're saying is that through the practice of embodying emotions, by adding it, to business decisions or for, to spiritual practice or a psychological practice or a self-help practice or mindfulness practice, you can actually improve the thinking and the behavior and the possibility that something can transform. For example, if I'm sitting, sitting with a heart, heartache from a breakup and I don't want to open my heart for fear that this would happen again or it hurts too much, if I can open my heart, uh, I'll give you an example. A woman came to me in a work training and she said, you know, I, my husband fell in love with my sec our secretary. We had a business. And she said, you know, 
heart is heart. I can't do anything about it. So we separated. We got divorced. I'm in another relationship now. I can't open my heart to this person, even though he's, he's a great guy. And so we started to explore whether they were unresolved feelings, right? And um, from the betrayal. And there was a lot of hurt there, right? And she was holding it like that with constriction. So by encouraging it to open, allow it to open up so that the energy could go to different parts of the body, she felt a lot of hurt. It's like she said, it's like my heart is broken into a million pieces and a shards of glass are embedded. That's what it feels like, not just there in my belly. It feels bad. And so we did that work. And she then wrote back to me a little later and said, that session was the price of admission of the workshop, worth the price of the admission of the workshop. I'm so much more open to my current boyfriend. I had no idea I was holding so much there. So what happened? She says, I know I could get hurt with a new guy, but you know what? I know how to work it through because I've worked through something horrible. I can work it through again because we cannot guarantee that the heart will not break again. So then it can become a practice when it happens again. So, Yeah, I love all that. And I like how you're uh, framing it as an, a practice and an addition because anything that's going to help us understand ourselves more or if it works, um, then that's great, right? You can kind of use it uh, with other tools that you enjoy or resonate with. And these subtle distinctions, like you said, of opening it up, um, that might have a greater benefit, right? And I really relate to the um, physical aspect of it because like the deadlift or the squat or strongman competitions, if you're picking up a heavy weight, you are trained to activate muscles you wouldn't even think about, right? You think squat right. is just your legs, but the mm -hmm. people who are able to squat a thousand pounds, they're actually using everything, their arms, their back and all the subtle muscles and muscles. And the more you can engage everything, now the body is uh, working as a cohesive unit. So it would only make sense that this would be the same thing emotionally. And I feel like most people, most adults, and probably myself considered <laughs> are um, children when it comes to processing emotions, right? We're doing it in the most rudimentary caveman type of capacity when the human range of emotions is so vast and it has depths of beauty and love and compassion and happiness and just really depths of horror and trauma. And that can really affect us and create a pattern of living that goes throughout our entire life that might not be as aligned to what we wanted to do or how we wanted to operate in the world. And if we had this ability to process these emotions, uh, we could really develop ourselves. And I feel like it probably is the root of a lot of things that are going on in the world now, because there's that old saying that hurt people hurt people, right? You have these cycles of trauma, of emotion, of uh, substance abuse, of all these different things, usually because they're not able to process an experience of their life. And so if they can get to the stage of healing and forgiveness and self-care in a real way, in an integrated way where it's not just in the mind, um, that's so important because a lot of these problems we're trying to solve in the mind, but the mind is so limited. You know, I don't know how you feel about this being a clinical psychologist, but I always thought like the mind is kind of almost like the, the little child brain. I call it the dum-dum brain because it can only process a little bit of information at a time, right? It's got to focus on this conversation. It has to focus on making dinner, right? But then everything gets stored in the subconscious, but the body, I like the idea of the body being the supreme intelligence. Like you talked about each 
cell has the mastery of and knowledge of all of the cells. And so that's the invitation of the body. And it's the same way that I understand it through martial arts is if I go into combat, the body's actually doing it. The body's going to respond before my head can think about what to do. And when I've been in very challenging situations, like a guy with a machete uh, wanted to kill another person, uh, a gun to my head once, uh, you know, in a forest in Guatemala, I wasn't making the decisions. I observed my body respond through words and through action. None of it was my conscious choice. There was, yeah, right? I yeah. didn't think I wanted, you know, if I could go back and do a cool Bruce Lee thing, um, that would be ideal in the fairy tale land. But my body was taking all of the uh, information involved and choosing for me to keep me safe, calculating things that my brain couldn't do. And so I feel like, again, we're putting that intelligence back to our body and our body to me is linked up to God, creator, the Tao, the universal energy, whatever that case is. And I feel like that's a cooperative energy. That's a supportive energy. And so if we can learn to get back into that, because the mind is like, you know, science is like, how does this tree grow? And we can kind of write it down and we can learn a little bit, but really the mystery of life and all that's around us is so incredible. So to integrate into that, I feel like is, is very powerful and beneficial. And then it's the mind is like this inquisitive part because we're always learning and we're always expanding, but there's, there's no end to it. You know, it's just going to be an unfolding mystery as we get to one plateau of understanding, then that's going to open up an even greater plateau with even more mysteries. And that's kind of what I've experienced through these, you know, whatever you call them, mystical experiences or, or aha moments. It's like, a big realization opened up to, you know, something so much greater. That's like, whoa, now there's even more possibilities. You know, one idea is like, if you're a little kid on a bicycle and uh, you've got your little court to play in, cause you're very small and your parents don't want you to get hurt. But as a teenager, you can ride your bike everywhere. And now you can go all through this path and you'd explore how now your possibilities really expand. Right. And then you become older and then you can travel and go around the world to the greatest places that you might want to bike. This is a kind of a stupid rudimentary example, but um, just to illustrate how expansive this reality truly is. Yeah. And I love your example of, um, if I may, I, I might, I'll use it in, sure. when I speak. Um, the, the weightlifter, the effective weightlifter actually uses every muscle in his body. And the not so effective weight lifters don't know that. They end up getting hurt too, right? The, the muscles balance each other, you know. I can I can really I can I could really feel it. I said, what a great example. What a great example, yeah. And um, the in relation to the mind, yeah, the mind is um, the the what we know is that when by having the body more available through developing a more capacity to tolerate difficult emotions, especially, we make the mind more flexible. More alternatives appear. And, you know, in, you know, in terms of how we think about a situation, in terms of meanings, but also different alternatives of, of what we need to do in the situation. And we can become more flexible. And uh, another thing that struck me is that Eating disorder, you know, we all have eating disorders from time to time, right? We use food a lot and sometimes not so well. Sometimes, you know, just the way it is. And, but some people have serious issues and um, anorexia and bulimia and so on. 
So what really, what often causes such difficulties is in, in conventional thinking and psychoanalytic thinking is that they're not able to deal with emotional experiences in their lives. And if, it, if they can tolerate it, the emotions, like say loneliness, I eat when I'm lonely at home in the evening, not during the day. So if I can feel the loneliness, right? Expand the loneliness as opposed to avoiding it. Then I might get to a place where I might think, let me call somebody so that I'm not so lonely, <laughs> as opposed to let me have another piece of cake. Yeah? And, um, and, and, and uh, I might even understand and I feel, feel it, it's sometimes we don't even feel the loneliness. We only feel the urge to eat. So we just don't eat and sit there and sense how it is. Why are we feeling so bad in the body? Then as we spread the bad feeling, we don't even know what it is. It just feels bad that I want to go and eat. It will flower in the mind as loneliness. The meaning will be accurate. And, and then we'll say, oh, this is because my husband is away for a week. Those meanings will come. Then let me call him, FaceTime him, or let me call a friend over. So that way we can avoid the addictive behaviors and compulsive behaviors that actually make life difficult for us. Yeah, that's a really great example. It reminds me of this idea that when you transmute the emotion, uh, you're going to get more information. And right. So at first it's almost like a block where you have this veil up that you can't see. So the addictive subconscious goes right for something that soothes and makes you feel good, right? Whether it's uh, alcohol or food or whatever the case is. We have the impulse to drink and eat, but we don't feel what precedes it. Exactly. That's the unconscious. Yeah. So when you do that, then now it it brings about information. Now with that information, you can make a better decision, right? And you might now have a new option where before it was just the impulsive behavior. It's just one thing, right? Zeros and ones. You're kind of programmed for that behavior. Now you've got a another option. And I like the idea of like, when you break the pattern of automatic, it's not just it, 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 it creates an, uh, not just one other option, it's infinite other options. So if you've only got, you know, this happens, and then that's the response, right? It's one option. But once you break that pattern, it's not just a second option. It's not just call a friend. Maybe it's like, you know, uh, take a bath, maybe it's go for a walk, all of a sudden, exactly. that it, it's infinite, that that solution is now an infinite possibility that your body is you know connected to again a higher universe exactly whatever the case is right and that always has a solution for you and then that's where your free will comes in too where you now have the choice where you go you know what even though i know this i might have the cake okay you're choosing that right you're at least more cognizant of that choice you're like all right you know i'm not or you might have the cake and the bath or something you know what i mean but now it's giving you that choice to to break that program Exactly. Everything becomes more uh, flexible. And um, I want to say a couple of things. You know, when I hear you talk, I get excited. A lot lot of ideas come. And uh, that's a great exchange. And uh, one thing, you know, um, the um, I'm going to go into another plane, so to speak, into the non-scientific realm, in a spiritual realm. And um, it's not really non-scientific because science is telling us, right? what science is telling us, neurologists say, you think you have free will, Mm -hmm. but we don't find evidence for that. Things happen 
a thought occurs, experiences happen in the body, you then think that you're doing it. In fact, the me, the sense of self, for example, my arm is a bit warm from the sweater that I'm wearing. Who's having that experience? Me. If you were to ask me that, I'll say, me, of course. Tell me where this me is. It's an experience, isn't it? It's an experience. It's, it turns out it's also body experience. And Damasio, you know, the neurologist says, we don't know how, this is a construction. And that makes us believe that there is a me here in the body. Yeah? Me in the body. So, and, and then he says that things happen, then the sense of self, which is just a body experience, takes ownership, right? There are other researchers, neurological researchers that say anything, even a simple movement of moving the arm, finger, etc. This is the James Libet experiment that has not been refuted. It already happens in the brain. The, it's already happened. It's an event that has happened. Even when I say, I'm going to move my hand, I'm going to say, when I'm going to think that, I say this, at this second. But then you know what? That has already happened in the brain a few seconds ago, nanoseconds ago. So the neurologists don't believe that we have free will. It is just happening. So what's happening in the brain? What's happening in the body? Like you were saying, you were saying things are just happening. You know, it's not happening here. It's just happening in my body. So where is that coming from? That is coming from the intelligence of the universe. Right? We were just waves in an ocean. And the wave thinks it's moving the ocean, right? Wave thinks it's dancing. No, it's happening. You know, all, all of it is being controlled by the currents of the ocean, right? And, and uh, so the, to the extent to which a wave resists it, like by shutting down because it cannot tolerate experiences, it cannot completely disconnect from it. Otherwise, it'll just die, drop off like a branch that, that fell, falls from a tree. But when we more open, when it's more open, then there is more information, archetypal, in the universal intelligence, and not only intelligence, but materials come in too to solve the problems that we're facing right now. So I, I was thinking about it when you were talking about how your body does it. You know, you think that your mind is doing it, your body does it. So when you open it, mind works better and the body works better because it's infused with the intelligence of the universe. As a, you know, the more I think that I'm an individual believing in this sense of self that I just as a body sense of self, that is the agent the more, more, you know, constricted I can get. And that's what spiritual paths say, you know, spiritual paths say that too, you know, it's nothing really happens through your action. There is no free will. It's good to believe that there is free will because we, without the idea of free will, I cannot, I cannot act in the world, you know. I have to become very identified with this body and sense of self this is how it works. This is how the universe works, actually, by creating this illusion. So, and, and, and I'll end that with, when you develop a greater capacity of emotions, the ability to see this truth increases. And that's one of the reasons why spiritual paths say, develop a capacity for opposites. Great love without acting out, great hate without acting out. 
develop a capacity for both. And that's what the practice of embodying, embodying emotions can offer people, you know? The other question is, people often ask me, how much emotion? How many places do I have to get it to? How difficult should it be for me? These are reasonable questions. It turns out, you know, in the first chapter, second, first chap, second chap, chap, uh, the first chapter of the book, after the introduction, I talk, talk about the early development of the work, where the emotions were intense, the embodiment was complete, and for a long period of time. Another question is, how long do I need to feel it? Then I learned in the third, second chapter of the book, sometimes it's just a little bit of emotion. It's a little bit of expansion for a short period of time. That also brought about dramatic changes. I'll give you an example. A woman who developed asthma after she broke up with a boyfriend a year ago, I couldn't get her to feel sadness. And a little bit of sadness only she could feel. And only here, a little bit here, a little bit there, and a little bit there. That's it. So at the end of the session, I said, what is going, what, is this going to lead to any change? She surprised me by saying that she went home and cried, and then she hasn't had another asthma attack since. So it is not how much, how, you know, how long. It's just where you're at. And in these days, you know, because emotions are pushed, being pushed away, um, even in psychology, for medication and magical tricks to get emotions, you know, uh, reduced, uh, resolved. Um, people are forming these big symptoms, even at very low levels of uh, emotion intensity. So if you do a little bit, you know, you don't know what can change in you. So I just want to throw it out there because when people are thinking about embodiment, they say complete embodiment deep embodiment for a long period of time. It's not necessary. It depends on where you are, where a client is. And often it is less than more. Yeah. Wow. Well, I love all that. And, and you open up a bag of worms when we talk about free will, because I feel yeah. like there's so many distinctions. So I kind of want to share a few thoughts and, and, and please, please. And I knew that. Yeah. And it'll hook you. Feedback. <laughs> so, you know, I've thought about it before, like, um, a lot of guests have been on the show, right? And they talk about how their life was one way before a traumatic incident. And then that kind of woke them up, right? And then they started to change things. And so after listening to a lot of different people, I, I had this idea of what an awakened person is, not, not a woke person. That's a whole different bag of worms. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so if you're like awakened, I found that people will take 100% responsibility for everything in their life. So these choices, good or bad, um, they're going to take responsibility for them so they can learn from them and then respond, right? The other thing is that they, they go from what can I get to what can I give? So when we think about this free will aspect, it's so deep and so important because I feel like a lot of people are programmed. And I remember this very powerful story. I was at Burning Man and uh, it's a very interesting environment. It's crazy. And uh, I know, I, I, you know, I'm envious because I've, I lived in California for nearly 20 years. I always wanted to go, never made it. And perhaps too old to do that now. But well, uh, people of all ages would have loved to see you there. And, you know, you're very open in the environment because it's such a disorienting environment. It's like it's unlike anything else. There's good and there's also bad there, too. It's a very uh, polarity thing. But I, I experience mostly good. And I feel like that's uh, my my experience of it. Um, but I remember talking to this person and opened up right away and it happens you know, quite often to me, especially there. And he told me 
about his life and basically what happened is this guy was in a gang and he he committed a lot of crimes it sounds like even maybe murders like i don't know it was really until i was just kind of reading between the lines what he was saying went into the military did a bunch of stuff and he was talking to me processing all of the stuff that he did but what it became obvious is that from his upbringing he was programmed to create this person and now he's processing that. And I basically, what I did is I drew a line in the sand and I said, look, this is who you are programmed to be. At that point, you were kind of making decisions, but not really. Now that you've had this new piece of awareness, the decisions you make moving forward, you're going to need to take responsibility for because our, I think it's our emotions that kind of guide us where, you know, as a kid, if you steal something or hurt someone and you watch them cry, then you you should, ideally, if you're functioning, you're going to feel bad. And you're like, you know what? I've made that person feel bad. Now I feel icky. And so now I said, you know, as you make these decisions, right, you got to be responsible for those, right? You can't go in this old pattern and pretend that you didn't know because sometimes what's that quote, the path to hell is paved with good intentions or something like that. And so yeah, you might yeah. have done something that you believed was positive, but then when you learned that it wasn't, now you, you have to make that new decision. And so I feel like some people, when they move into the AI type of stuff, they're like, you know, there's no free will and you're just a robot. But I feel like the creator has given us free will so that we can respond and learn from our choices. And I feel like you're suggesting it more from this divine intelligence. Right. That sometimes the divine intelligence I've witnessed in my life takes over completely and protects me because I do believe it's a protective mm -hmm. force. Um, and then that that signal and those impulses are are pushing us. If we can learn how to respond to those and, and be a whole in our integration of how we think, how we feel, how we experience, we're going to move towards decisions that make more sense and are in more alignment because most people, I believe, are programmed to safety and survival right? The lowest ones, because it's all mental. How do we get the most amount of money, which is basically squirrel nuts? How do we have as much squirrel food, you know? And so what's the highest paying job with the least amount of work that I can then go out in the weekend and do whatever I want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's how they navigate rather than who am I? What's most important to me? How do I integrate into all of life? And how yeah. can I master myself so I can provide value to my community? And that's where I feel like that idea, the free will is like you have it. Um, and the people who are like, I would say not awake or like kind of asleep, they're making their decisions based on fear and security and not who they are, but their perceived safety moving forward. Well, I can't make that decision because I'll lose my job and then I won't get the money or, you know, I'm going to do this job like in cars, for example, I saw this where one dealership was very forthright and amazing and awesome, great deals, great cars, great service, right? They were very successful. The other one, their idea was how did I get the most amount of money per car? To me, that wasn't aligned with a value set. So I couldn't do that. Right. And so that person I felt like didn't have that same level of authenticity where in the long run, the person who did the better business, they were much more successful. And so that's kind of, I'd love to hear your two cents on, on that kind of rant, rant and understanding of free will. Yeah. <clears throat> the free will is essential. The, the appearance of free will or the illusion of free will is essential to navigate the world. Right. Um, from a spiritual point of view, there is no free will. However, that the body-mind organism is not free of consequences. The 
actions and impulses come through this body-mind organism, but it's not free of the consequences. It's a bit unfair. But then one has to look at who one is. You know, at some level, if you go into the subatomic level of existence, there is absolutely no boundary between an individual and the universe. You know, the wave thinks it's only the wave, but the, can the wave really separate itself from the ocean? It cannot. Every, the entire dynamic of the ocean is there in every wave, right? So our body is, you know, we identify with this body, especially the body that goes into the coffin and the brain in it. And, and, and then we then, you know, identify that sense of self, which is an experience that's generated in it. And then we suffer, we suffer. Um, but we need the notion of free will. It's hard to get rid of it. And there's no reason to, because we come here to do things, to learn things. And therefore it comes through and it feels like we are doing it, we are thinking, we are having all these, you know, uh, for example, I'm thinking of all these alternatives and I'm choosing the, that one. So it's so brilliant or, oh my God, I should have chosen that one. I feel I'm so stupid. All those things are really based on the idea that one is actually generating those alternatives in the brain or the body and choosing one of the alternatives, right? But um, it's a complex topic. All that we can say for our purpose is that we do need to believe in it. Most people, you know, have to operate on this plane, and they have to, um, you know, uh, think and uh, do things and express or not express things, etc. And all that gets much better when one creates a capacity for opposites in this corner of the world. Me, <laughs> yeah, my body. So. Well, I love the the idea of creating a capacity for for opposites. I'm sure we could talk about free will all day because it's such a fascinating uh, discussion. You know, I feel like it's paramount in this existence if it is a spiritual domain. Uh, like my my daughter, right? I, I, if if I force every decision that she has and she doesn't really have free will because I'm enforcing that. So I feel like the creator gave us free will. That's my two cents. And I understand the scientific uh, implications. Um, but I feel like this seems like a... A, a, a school, you know, earth seems like a school. And when I go to, you know, the deepest, I don't know, contemplations, and I'd, I'd love your two cents on this. When we look at about these um, enlightened masters, so to speak, I've always been curious about that. I went to Nepal to study with monks and did all kinds of crazy meditations and learn from all these different teachers to see what the limits of human potential was. And is enlightenment a real thing? Can I have this different level of consciousness, right? Where I'm, I don't know, right? They, they talk about it in books and maybe it's this whole other thing rather than this very limited consciousness that I seem to have been given and operate from now. And so I'd be curious your sense on connecting, you know, the path to enlightenment, how to walk through life and, and connecting with a, you know, the spirit or God, or however you see that from, you know, your work and your point of view. Yeah. The, the model I work with, everything is a model, right? Everything's concept, conceptual is that the universe, the basis of the universe this scientific, empirical, philosophical evidence for this is just pure consciousness, infinite, pure awareness. And uh, the universe, 
forms in it, results in it, without affecting the underlying substance. The recognition, the recognition that my awareness, you know, if I, if I were to ask myself the question, who am I? Am I the body, energy, etc.? Am I that sense of self, etc.? It's very quickly, I come to, let me make it very clear. Here's the practice. I have a hand that's warm. Who's feeling this warmth? Me. Who's this me? It's an experience in the body. And once, when I, you know, when I look at who's me, my third eye and the crown are going crazy. And uh, because I'm landing in pure awareness, that's making my body its experience as well as the sense of self that's an experience in the body, right? I'm going to do that right now. My, my arm, it's heat. Who's feeling it? The sense of self in me. And then immediately, you know, things expand. I'm, I'm, and, and, I'm, and I'm looking at where is this awareness? I'm, I'm now paying attention to my sense of self from my awareness. And this awareness everywhere. That's the basis. This becomes more possible when I have a greater capacity for opposites. That's why the enlightened master said, hey, you want to get enlightened first, have life experiences that give you the capacity for opposites and then come to me. You know, that's how I link the two, really. And that's, that's one of the reasons for writing the book, for the, developing the practice. You know, because I'm on the path of enlightenment, you know, and whether it'll happen in this life or next life, I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to do as much as I can. And when I say I'm going to do as much as I can, I say it with a wink, because by, let it, by grace of the universe, let it happen in this body-mind organism. It should be the accurate statement. Because nothing, you know, comes from me the sense of self, it just comes and I take ownership. And I can realize all those things much better if by God's grace, I have the impulse to develop a greater capacity for emotions that are occurring in this body. That, that's how I, I hold this, hold the, the micro and the macro together. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I, uh, the practice, you know, if people haven't done that, just sit quietly for a few seconds and then think about who was thinking and then just think about who, then just kind of go back. Like who was the, who was having these thoughts, right? right. Who am I right? Am yeah. I, my thoughts and my, my mind. And it's a very interesting thing, you know? So when you do that, you're left in the realm of just like, like you said, awareness or even this contemplation of, you know, I'm not who I think I am, which is just a set of patterns and beliefs. And exactly, and exactly. And, and we don't know where they come from. Because if I cannot find myself as other than just the sense of self in my body, where are these thoughts coming from? Where are these feelings coming from? And where is this idea that in order to develop, uh, in, in, that, that it's important to develop a capacity for opposites? It's important to use the body. Where are these ideas coming from? I cannot really own any of those. And, you know, identifying with it, I can say I'm so grateful that they've come through me and I benefited from it. But it's not really not that way. So, so going back to the book, um, um, going back to the book, 
so the, one can read the first section, right? That gives you all the concepts with plenty of examples. And even from reading just the first section, uh, you will learn how to implement it in your life, whether you're a therapist or not. And uh, you can then go to the third section at the nuts and bolts, step by step. And then if you're curious about the science of it, you know, the best way to learn something to verify it is to verify it through your own experience, right? And if you so happen to be in the, interested in the science of it, then you can go to, uh, go to the um, middle section. There's one thing in the middle section that's very important. Very often when the people come, or I have therapists and supervision who tell me, I can't get this client to emotions. And this is, this is also important for people to know. There is an unlimited number of emotions. And because academic psychology tells us certain things, only certain things are emotions like feeling good, feeling bad. It's, it's and I'm sorry, happiness, sadness, uh, you know, anger, uh, fear, uh, uh, disgust. That's one list. Or any every emotion is a combination of these basic emotions. So, but clients come to us and they say, or friends call us and say, you know, something happened today and I really feel bad then we say, we don't think of feeling bad as an emotion. We say, tell me what you felt. You're looking for happiness or sadness. That limits our knowledge of emotions, even though it's staring us in the face. So very often I start with, you feel bad? Where do you feel it in the body? Because all unpleasant emotions have the basic underlying emotion of feeling bad, right? Where do you feel it in the body? Where else do you feel it in the body? let's just develop a capacity for feeling bad in relation to this relationship. Everything else will clarify itself. Like you said, the thinking about it will clarify. Even uh, I'll give an example, a woman with very limited capacity of emotions. Um, I just started to work with that she feels bad about what happened. As we did that, then she could come up with more specific emotions like sadness. So, out there, people out there, if you listen to the broadcast, don't think about, you can just start with feeling good or feeling bad as an emotion. If you're worried about some situation, worry, that feels bad. Start with feeling bad and expand that. And then through that capacity building, you will actually get to the other emotions, a greater understanding of you know, the situation, how you can think about it to resolve this uh, em emotional difficulty or, or what to do about it that also improves. So that I wanted to, I call it sensory motor emotion. You know, the, such bodily sensations that make perfect psychological sense. But I wanted to really communicate that to people, you know, who are listening to the podcast so that they can start to use it right away. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I love that because it's practical, you know, and yeah. and, so, and then it's easily understandable, right? So then it becomes our decision whether we want to do it. And it's the same with, I, I find with the mindset and even with the fitness, a lot of the fitness stuff to get your body in shape or whatever the case is, is not that complicated. You can have a tool, then it's up to you to practice that tool. Um, then over time, it's going to become habitual in your natural way of being. So it is going to take a little bit of intention and conscious effort, you know, to be, to see the results of this. So, and, and with this kind of stuff, the nice thing is the second you try it, you feel it immediately. 
It's not like you have to think it. You're going to notice the experience immediately. So then you know that there is a validity to it, that it does indeed work. And you have emotions all the time. Just read the paper, watch the news. You're going to have emotions. <laughs> and, 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 and next time you get outraged about something, you have to really get on that. Uh, you know, get on social media and, 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 and write nasty stuff. <laughs> Sit back, tolerate that emotion and create, you will have much, you know, you'll have better mental and physical health and much better relationships. I'm talking about people on both ends of the political spectrum, not just one end, you know, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, this has been uh, beautiful and very practical. And when people uh, check out your book, you're going to see it's, it's laid out in a way where you can understand this, where you can apply it, and you can easily integrate it into your life. Is there anything that you uh, wish that I had asked or that you want to chat about before we close? And do you want to do, uh, we talked about an exercise before we could do that. Um, but I just wanted to open it up to see if there's anything you wanted to discuss. I, I cannot, I cannot. I, I've just uh, totally enjoyed it. Where, where are you in the world, by the way? Where, which, which city are you in? Near Toronto. Oh, you're near Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Great, great. No, I can't think of anything else. But I think, in the, you know, uh, we might actually try we might try to, um, is this live right now or it is yep. live, right? Yeah, so, and then people even watching it, you know, YouTube can join us along then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let's just go through this process, right, of the practice of embodying emotion. Not with something too serious, uh, but if it is serious, why not? Um, so think of, and I, I will talk about myself, right? And Matt will talk in a, a go, in a, Pick, pick a challenge of his own. So I'm going to, um, I'm just going to uh, describe the situation, right? Sometimes the situation is not there. People just feel bad. They don't know why. You can then, you start in the second step. I feel bad, let me, and then the situation will reveal itself because the cognition will improve and you will know what it has to do with. But right now I'm going to do the classic four-step sequence, right? So, I find myself, you know, for example, I'm a little breathless. I'm feeling a bit um, tight here. You know, I'm just noticing my body to see where I am. And, um, you know, I have many things. The book just came out and I have to do many things that I'm lagging behind, right? For example, I have to pack. I'm leaving at six o'clock tomorrow morning and I, I'm not packed yet. So I have to do the packing. And the middle of it, I'm doing the podcast. So I have this idea that I should have done more. I shouldn't have taken a nap, you know, or, um, you know, I have all these thoughts, right, about the past that I cannot get rid of. So I'm going just, I'm just going to work with the feeling that I'm not okay where I am, right? that I should have done more or, you know, I have a perfectionistic critic inside of me. So I'm not okay. My life is not where it should be. Um, I should be, I should have done so much more. Let me, you know, and I let me just work with that discomfort. That's the situation. Yeah. That I've not done enough in my life. I should have done more. I'm thinking of these things so that to bring up the emotion, right? So 
I don't feel good. I don't feel good in my chest. So I'm going to just put my hand there and let that bad feeling you know, expand. I don't feel good in my you know, back, middle back where the kidneys are. You know, the, just the idea that I've not lived my life you know, as adequately I should have. I have to somehow make up for it, even though I can't change anything about the past. How does it make me feel? You know? And uh, just feeling it, that it feels bad in my chest and in my kidneys, holding both places is making me feel better, making my body feel better. I can also notice that you know, it's not as bad when I feel it in both places. And in order to even expand that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let myself off easy. I'm going to remind myself, I failed to live up to expectations. I should have done much more. You know, I've avoided things, you know, been lazy, all those things that we tell ourselves. And I say that, you know what happens? The kidney starts to hurt again. I hurt, you know, to feel that way. And the pleasant emotion hurts. And, uh, I'm going to actually, in order to expand it to more places in my body, I'm going to express it, you know, in my face or my throat. Because very often we push down emotions, like Matt said earlier, it's, he gave a great image of bottling up, right? Bottled down. The bottleneck is there. So I'm going to go, uh, uh, and you don't have to do it outside. You can even do it internally. It works. Uh, uh. Uh, 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 uh. As I think about all the things that I did not do, I should have done on time. Yeah. Yeah. And the fear that I will not do it, do all the things I need to do in, in, in the future also, I will have deficits. I can't correct it. And that makes me feel bad. How do you live in the moment when you have the psychology, you know? So, uh, 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 even my throat hurts. And as I do that, you know what happens? Energy goes into my legs. And the discomfort is also mildly present in my legs. So, I'm really, discomfort is an emotion, by the way. The discomfort of the situation, you know, the thinking that I'm not up, you know, up to, up to date. <laughs> that I will never be up to date. And it, it's, it's, it's just an impossible. You know, it feels impossible. In the body, it feels impossible. Impossibly difficult. So again, uh, I say, ah, uh, it's very difficult to live like this. And even my, the bone in my left leg hurts, you know. And, and, uh, but I feel, feel it, I'm trying to feel it in as much of the body as possible. And as I said earlier, you don't have to feel it in every place, but I'm used to actually quickly, you know, spreading it out. And uh, so notice what happens in relationship to your issue, where you start to feel it first, and then where you are able to spread it. You know, sometimes put a hand on one, one place, and put a hand on the other place, uh, by the second law of energy, 
the energy will connect between the two places and the emotion will also spread to both places. Yeah, the, the tricks like that, I, you know, lots of tricks like that I, we use in the book. You will learn in the section on a regulation expansion. So, uh, 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 you know, it's interesting. Somewhere in the middle of it, deep down, my body's beginning to feel okay. You know, that I'm not buying into this my experience is not buying into this criticism that I failed to live up to expectations, mine and others, that I should have done a lot more or I should do a lot more in the future to make up for it or I will never get, you know, feel adequate, etc. Somehow, by just expanding that pain of it, wherever it came from, you know, perfectionistic father or abuse, who knows. But here I am dealing with it, you know, and uh, I'm also, you know, blowing it out. But somewhere in there, I'm actually starting to feel okay about all the things that my mind says that I should have done. I feel okay. That makes me not feel okay. Now I feel okay. And there will be things that I will plan I will not do in the future. And even that's okay. Deep down, I can feel that I'm okay. And I can also see that this is how it is for everyone, everybody, most people. When I talk to them. So I suffer unnecessarily. I feel okay. Now, I might not feel okay later on, but I know that this issue, if it were to happen again, with you as the witness and Matt as the witness, because we are all, you know, emotions are meant to be processed in, relationally. And even at great distance, we can actually support each other electromagnetically and quantum, more importantly, quantum mechanically. It's called the practice of embodying emotion, uh, sorry, the interpersonal resonance, chapter 15 is all on this process, the research that puts it on a scientific basis and how to implement it, even in online work. So this is something that I've been feeling, you know, for a few days, but here I am with Matt, with the support of Matt, doing his own work and all of you watching it and doing your own work in a limited way. We somehow connect and support each other and you help me to get there, at least see a glimpse that this is all bullshit, that I'm okay. If I listen to the mind, a critic, it will always be that way, incomplete. But if I go in there and face the emotion that's generating, get a hold of it, expand it, a space opens up that I feel okay about myself. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And, and given your support, now that I've touched it, I will be able to enjoy more that the book is doing well, you know, in terms of rankings in different categories on Amazon, right? Whereas I would not be able to, you know, if this thing was in the way. Yeah, so, so thank you very much for your time, Matt. Uh, it has been a, an honor and such an enjoyable thing, uh, a conversation because you're so multifaceted. 
And uh, my work is also quite multifaceted and, and hope that we keep in touch and, and have these interactions. Perhaps we can have a whole, a whole episode on free will, research on free will, et cetera. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I appreciate you walking through that process because especially in the, you know, spirituality mindset world, I feel like processes and tools are very important. And again, you know, all of this stuff it, from, from your work and some of the other people I've interviewed, it does seem like this embodiment process, getting in touch with the body is one of the most effective and powerful ways for dealing with understanding and learning from all yeah. the emotions that come from being alive, because it's not just supposed to be a happy experience. There are all kinds of um, emotions of being alive. There's challenges, there's setback, there's loss, exactly. there's trauma. And the more that we can learn to integrate the emotional experience of being alive, the more we're going to be able to um, enjoy our experience and make better decisions for what we want to create here, because we still do have that power as creators um, to affect our, our world, to affect our own life and, and our relationships and, and, you know, families and communities and things like that. So I appreciate you and your work and for coming on and for people who want to get the book and learn more about you, where should they go? They can go to, uh, shall I quickly show where it's on Amazon? It'll be, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. I'll the, I'm going to have the link up in the show notes as well. Uh, give me the um, share to share. Give me the permission to oh, share. Yeah. Give me one second here. All panelists, you should have the power. Let's see. Okay, get to here. Uh Okay, here it is. The practice of embodying emotions, a guide for improving cognitive, emotional, and behavioral outcomes. It's on Amazon and it's available on Kindle, also on paperback. Very soon it will also be available as a, an audio book, an audio book. And uh, people ask me, is it out in other languages? So I might as well say, we just sold the rights for Spanish, Russian. Yes, Russian. And, and, uh, Korean and Chinese, and we are in the process of, uh, you know, getting it published in German, Portuguese, Italian, and French, and so on. So that's that. All these things will take about a year, but uh, right now, it's uh, available in English on Amazon throughout the world on all Amazon, but also on Google Books and all these. Uh, you know, if you Google Books and all all these online platforms, I, I think there are quite a few. So, but Amazon, I know because I I I, I shop there so and then you can also look at the um, look at the um, you know endorsements and so all those things you can see you know learn how to build a greater capacity to tolerate emotion and and some all the uh, 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 reviews are there so so thank you so much let me get out of here uh, let me get out of here to get out of the well, let me see, how do I get out of, uh, okay, you can, you can, uh, you can just kick me out. Thanks. I've never, never had to do that before. Uh, well, yeah, it looks, it looks amazing. And uh, the book just released. So congrats on that. And it does have a lot of practical and powerful tools. So I'm glad you're spreading the word on this because it's very important knowledge that is not common place these days and so the more of us that can learn it we can pass this knowledge on with other people so i appreciate your time and work and just thanks for coming on the show thank you matt it has been a pleasure bye -bye. all right guys thanks for watching we'll see you in the next one bye bye
Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you enjoyed that show. And if you did, please share it far and wide. Consider becoming a member at mattbelair.com to support this show. Um, if you want a membership for free, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. Uh, check out all the programs over there. Uh, the Soul Compass one-on-one coaching, the Quantum Heart Hypnosis, and Zen Athlete is all there to help you design and live the life of your dreams and architect your reality from your authentic way of being. Um, you can also support the show by leaving a review on iTunes. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I sincerely appreciate you. And uh, let's come into a state, quick state of peace and coherence before we end the show. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, faith, courage, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. 